0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Pastor Nathan Brown, and you are listening to Tuesday's R for Talking. I hope that you've enjoyed the last couple of weeks. We got to hear from some of our great leaders in the Every Nation movement. And this week, we have another special staff spotlight edition teed up for you today we're gonna have a conversation with our director of music and production mr. Seth Perez I know that you're gonna enjoy this opportunity to go behind the scenes and get to know Seth on a much deeper level Seth is one of my most favorite people in the whole world and I know that if you could just meet him and spend some time with him you would feel the same so we're trying to bring him to you today here we go staff Spotlight conversation with Seth Perez Seth, good to see you, my friend, man. Nobody else can see you, but I can. We are obviously we're looking at each other on Zoom while we're recording elsewhere. And as many people know, you're easy on the eyes, my bro. So it's good to, good to have you on here and be able to talk with you. Welcome to the podcast. This is, I guess, your second appearance on Tuesdays of We're Talking. Is that is that right? Do I have that number correct?
1: Yeah, it is. We did something about a song that we all wrote together a couple of months ago, I think. Well, welcome back to Old Territory for you. Thank you, old blue eyes. (laughs) Glad to be here. So
0: of course, this is a special staff spotlight edition of Tuesdays Are for Talking. And so we're just trying to bring our staff through here and give folks that maybe don't know our staff quite as well an opportunity to get to know who it is behind the scenes that's helping to put on our services. And of course, many people do other things, but we're kind of focused on you today. And we would like for, for folks just to get to know who is Seth. So we'll take you all the way back to the beginning. I'll just go ahead and burn the dumb joke right away. Where'd you come from from your mama? So we'll start after that. And uh uh, you can tell us, man, where where are you from, what was life like growing up as Seth
1: Perez? <laughs> that was a great joke. Uh, glad you started there. I think I got that one from Pastor Barnabas, by the way. That sounds about like right. Um, so I was born in Victoria, Texas, and I uh, grew up there until the fifth grade. Um, my dad had left my mom when I was around seven. Uh, a few years later, we moved down to the Corpus Christi area where I went to middle school in ninth grade and then we moved out to Round Rock and I got to do a part of 10th grade and at Christmas time we had to move back to Corpus and then for 11th grade I spent the school year in Orange, Texas which is on the border of Texas and Louisiana and after that I came back to Round Rock and graduated high school. That's pretty much the most boring nutshell of a very not boring story version (laughs) that I can give you.
0: So, you've seen miles and miles of Texas, then. There's some country song I think about that.
1: Yeah. Well, that's good because I love Texas. It's <laughs> awesome, man. It's the best so, country in the world. It's the best country in
0: the world. <laughs> Republic of Texas. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, people who are listening from outside of Texas might not know, but like that's a thing. There are people here who think that. Texas still is its own country. They reject the, that it ever joined the United States of America. So you graduate from Round Rock High School. Uh, word on the street is that you are actually pretty fast, and you, you got to use those wheels of yours and some fresh kicks and do some running in college. Tell us about that, man.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I did used to have some wheels. Uh, I was quick. Um, at all the high schools that I went to, I either qualified for regionals or for state um, in track and field. I was a sprinter. I ran the 4x1 relay, the 200. Those were my main races. Um, and uh, at the end of my 12th grade year, I got to go and uh, run in college. So I ran for a NCAA D2 school, Tarleton State, which is up in Stephenville near Fort Worth. So I'm
0: impressed that they had a track team there. My understanding was like <laughs> you just went there if you wanted to be a professional bull rider and do some rodeo. huh? Did you know some rodeo guys
1: uh, over, over that way? One million percent. And (laughs) and Stephenville, the town, is called the cowboy capital of the world. That's what it says when you drive in. And I'm pretty sure that they are right on the money. There was cowboys and me. Cowboys and you.
0: <laughs> well, lucky for you, you seem to get along with just about everybody and just about every place. But yeah, man. Until I met you, every person that I ever knew that went to school down there was definitely you know from the, the redneck side of my friends group, and uh, <laughs> and you are yep. not. Uh, you are not actually a redneck <laughs> at all. So you ran down there, and
1: what, what was your degree in, Seth? Um, I got an undergrad degree there in literature american literature so an english degree and i got a minor in education there was a moment in my life midway through college where i thought to myself that i might want to teach and thank god i decided otherwise those poor kids would not have gone very well (laughs)
0: I don't know, man. I tend to think uh, whatever Seth Perez decided to do, he was going to do a great job of. Uh, but that's pretty cool. And then you weren't done with school. Um, you were one of those people who thought that you wanted to be a lawyer. Is that is that right? I mean, I understand there's like a law degree hanging around somewhere back
1: there in your past. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, you know, actually, that law degree is sitting in a box somewhere with um, some old newspaper clippings. I don't even really know where it is but yeah i did i did go to law school after after getting an undergraduate degree um and there was two real reasons one i have always been a champion for civil rights um i've got a a righteous indignation toward inequality and i just want to see justice for everyone that's always been something that runs through my veins um and the second reason is in order to get another degree in english i would have had to have written a dissertation But to become a lawyer, you just take a test. And I thought, man, that sure does sound good. So I went ahead and applied for law school, and I only applied to one. I applied to Thurgood Marshall School of Law down in Houston uh, because at the time, as far as I knew, they were the ones leading the charge on training uh, young people on how to go and fight civil rights issues.
0: Well, man, that is fascinating to hear. And of course, uh, knowing you fairly well, I know that that is definitely a true statement. You are a man with a heart for justice, and I love that about you. So, so you went to law school, and what came next, man? What, what happened next with Seth Perez after law school?
1: Oh, wow. So a couple of really great things happened right after law school, and they're called Fail the Bar Once and Fail the Bar Twice. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you actually didn't have
0: to admit that on the podcast, but oh, you know, man, no, thank no, you for your transparency.
1: It, nope, it's part of my story. Uh, truth of the matter is, right after law school, I did a bar study course, where I prepped to take the bar and the first day of that really expensive, really long and arduous course, I I wrote a song in my bar study book and I just couldn't really think about law. Uh, I just had a shift of heart and I just had a lot of creative things I wanted to do and I tried my hardest but I was kind of torn in that way, uh, in that season of my life. But something really cool did happen right after law school. I married the love of my life, Robin, and we've been married for almost 20 years now, and we've got three incredible boys that we've been blessed to be able to raise.
0: That's really great, man. Well, you certainly found your passion, and it sounds like you took the winding road to get there. Um, but,
1: but. Yes, I did. Just ask my mom, ask my dad, <laughs> ask anyone who's ever known me. It's been a pretty interesting 20 years.
0: You got to find the path for yourself, I guess. Oh. <laughs> I,
1: can,
0: I can identify with all that. This is probably a good time to tell our audience today that uh, we did experience a little technical difficulties in recording this podcast. And so we're actually doing this in a bit of a different way than we normally do. And uh, what that means is that you may hear some noises on the Tuesdays are for talking podcast that you don't always hear. So we've got dogs, kids, house cleaning stuff happening and uh, welcome to real life COVID-19. This is not an overproduced thing. We're both sitting in our homes, which we are very blessed to have and That's trying right. to record this for you. So bear with us uh, with background noise that you may or may not hear. But man, Seth, getting back to you and your story. So, so you met Robin, married Robin. Fast forward to tell us about how you really came to know Jesus, man. Was it, were you, were you raised a Christian? Did you find Jesus later in your life? Uh, This is a really important thing, I think, for folks to know about you. How did you become a Christian?
1: Well, uh, being Hispanic and from Texas, my mother was raised as a Catholic, but by the time I was around um, seven or eight, she had converted us to uh, non-denominational Christianity, and I was raised partially in church. We'd kind of go in seasons and patches. Uh it wasn't real consistent. But when we did go, it meant a lot to her and it meant a lot to me even at that young of an age. I loved the community. I loved hearing about Jesus. I loved um I think that I I met Jesus really early on when I was a little boy. Um and we got to go to a lot of different types of churches. We went to old Southern Baptist churches. Um I also remember going for a season to Greater Mount Zion. I believe that's what it was called. It was in South Texas, um but that's where I got to experience heavy heavy Holy Ghost movement and different types of music and tambourines and um there was literally a woman who did flips and cartwheels through the <laughs> through the aisle of the church. It was very charismatic and I fell in love. Um now fast forward to you know teenage me young adult me. I didn't really go to church. I just didn't think about it. It wasn't on the front burner in my life. I wish it had been in retrospect, but it wasn't. It wasn't until later in life when I met Robin, and she told me that if I wanted to date her, I had to go to church, that I couldn't be just a heathen out running the streets. Um, And if you've ever met Robin, which you have, Nate, you know, The woman knows what she wants, and she gets what she wants. So I went to church. Um, And for those of you who might not know, my my wife is African American. The church that she was going to and had been going to for a very long time is a traditionally black church in South Houston. The pastor, Dr. Dr. Joe Ratcliffe, was a hooper. He would run the stage. He He would get that word into you. And he was coming for you on Sunday morning. He was coming for your Saturday night. That was the type of preacher that he was, and that is the type of preacher that I needed.
0: Um, <laughs> That's
1: great, after being there a few months, I fell in love with the music. I fell in love with the worship that I experienced there. So I wiggled my way in to being a part of the choir. And uh, they actually let me be a part of—it um, was a 500-person choir, but they had a small section of people, 18 singers, that were called the Brentwood Corrals And we would do little— Little things around Louisiana and Texas. Um, sometimes it would be weddings, sometimes it would be um, uh, gospel shows, that kind of thing, and get-togethers at different churches. And I got to learn to sight-read there. Uh, Dr. Charles Clancy was my teacher, my leader in that, and he was actually Mahalia Jackson's piano player. But when he was 14, he became her piano player and he got to tour all around the world with her till he was about 28 years old, I think, um, So that's where I really cut my teeth in church music and uh, established a deeper love for the church and a deeper walk in my faith.
0: And so you got involved there. And at what point did you realize, like, man, I, th- I think I really like leading God's people in worship of him and, and started to kind of move that direction. I he had some fingers in some other musical pots and we may talk about those in just a few minutes, but, uh, but, but in terms of leading worship, being a passion and, you know, if you were to fast forward and look down your life and go, yeah, I'll be doing that with like most of my time at some point, when did that epiphany revelation calling, whatever you want to name that, when did that first happen for you, man?
1: Well, I definitely learned the power of uh, of song in 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 a worship, a church setting when I was there at Brentwood Baptist Church um, and got to be a part of that corral. Um, I got to experience the move of the Holy Spirit. I got to see what the move of the Holy Spirit through music means for people and what it can do, how it can transform. But I never really saw myself in that season of my life. I was there for five years on that team. I never saw myself as any kind of person who was equipped to lead in that way but at the end of that five years we went we transitioned to another church felt like it was a different season in our life and I needed a different type of teaching and my family was in a different place so we went to a church called Lakewood which is Joel Osteen's church and we ended up being there for eight years Uh, after the fifth year of being there and being led by the worship leaders there the worship team Um, God really started to pull on me, that He wanted me to to use that passion for music and for singing to be able to to move His people, to lead His people, and to facilitate as the Holy Spirit guides. Um, That was the first time where I really started to even consider that. And my wife was kind of elbowing me in the ribs for six or seven months. You should join the team. You should join the team. And I, I didn't really want to, I didn't feel like I was supposed to, but at the end of that six or seven month season, God told me in no uncertain terms that I was supposed to. And within a week of him making that really clear to me, they did an open call for people to join the team. And to be honest, I think when I look back on my life at the end of my life, I I know that that's one of the most clear times in my life that God will have talked to me and spoken mm-hmm. to me. It was extremely clear what he was doing. So I did it.
0: That's a really great story, Seth. And I'm sure that it was incredible to be a part of something like that uh, with, with Joel. And there's a lot that goes into that ministry there beyond just a, a local church. So I'm sure you had a had a wonderful time with all of that. Now, you've also done some music outside of the church. And I think everybody would love to hear about some of the pots you had your fingers in as it relates to Extra church music, man. So you've had some bands. You've written some songs. Tell us all about the the Seth, the rock star that that we don't see.
1: Um, Well, you know, like I said, I've always loved music. I come from a pretty musical family. So uh, right after law school, I did start writing a lot, and um, I was able to lock arms with some guys that were producing music. They were mostly doing hip-hop stuff. So I I would sing hooks for them. I would go to their studio. I would help make beats with them and that kind of thing Um, and fast-forward a couple of years after that uh, God delivered somebody who wanted to put money into a project so that I could record a professional project in a studio uh, recording some songs that I had written so I was able to put out my first professional project and uh, and and then God delivered somebody else uh, a couple of years after that that wanted to invest in my second project And that's when I formed a band called The White Flags. And we ended up doing, I I can't even count how many shows we did over about a four-year period of time. We did a little bit of touring. We got to see parts of the country that I wouldn't have gotten to see if it were just me or if I were writing a different kind of music. But God just opened up a lot of different doors. And it was a really great time. I really enjoyed it. Those guys are my brothers and best friends to this day. We've all like gone our different ways in life, but all four of us work and serve in churches. That was something that brought us together, and it was something that fed us while we were out there starving in the cold and trying to make our way as a young band, and that's definitely something that has informed and led our lives.
0: Well, you're obviously a talented guy. I've heard a little bit of that music, and uh, I really enjoy it quite a bit, uh, the things that you shared with me. And I know that you have a passion for writing songs. You've been involved in writing songs both in and out of the church. You've been involved in writing some songs with us, which we talked about on a previous podcast, and, and I know that there's going to be more to come, but let's sort of fast forward now, Seth. You, you showed up to Mosaic Church. When was this? Like 2015, 2016? I'm trying to remember exactly when you came. I know we met in May. I want to say it was May of 2016, but, but help me out here. Your memory is probably better than mine.
1: Oh, I doubt that. Yeah, that's right. You and I met in May of 2016, um, which is really an incredible story of how it all unfolded, how God brought us to Mosaic. We moved here sometime during 2015, and in that time, I was leading worship with some dear friends who run a church in College Station. So every Sunday, for 52 Sundays, we would get up at 4 in the morning and drive out to College Station, and we would do life with these people for a day um but after about a year of that and it's one of the most pivotal points of my of my life at least there was an older gentleman that i really loved who his wife passed away on a tuesday and mm-hmm. i was all the way in austin and i couldn't just be right there with him and i start, it just it pushed me to have a conversation with god like god austin is our community i love the people in college station but i i think that you either want us there or you want us to be doing life with people in church community here in Austin. You know, show us what you'd like. And long story short, he eventually led us back to Mosaic. We had visited almost a decade before when it was still CCC, because we had a good friend that played drums there. And we were visiting Austin one weekend and I called him and said, hey bud, what's that church you go to? You know, we don't take a Sunday off. So we're in Austin, we wanna come to your church. And we really liked it. Um, And God reminded us about that place. So we went back on a Sunday. And we've been here ever since. You're not getting rid of us. (laughs) (laughs) nor nor
0: would we want to so yeah man so i remember i got an email from this guy seth perez and of course you know having been a worship leader and in charge of worship program and all that i'm sure that you knew what i would be thinking when i got that email (laughs) because you've probably seen something like that before but hey i'm new in your church uh i play a little music and 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 i know you had actually told me that you had you know, laid down music, which is an interesting part of your story. Uh, But you had sold off all or most of your gear and, um, you know, but your wife said you should just tell them that you're here. And so it was a little bit like an obligatory email to kind of take your wife's nudge there and to just let me know. So I get this email from this guy and I'm a musician, but I don't have any gear. And God told me to stop playing music, but I'm still a musician and I'm in your church and you should just know it. And I remember getting that email, I just sit there thinking like Well now I'm intrigued. Like <laughs> I've got to meet this guy and see what he's all about. And so, um, man, I'll actually never forget the the first time that I that I met you. I mean, maybe I don't know if I ever met you before that, but this was my first recollection of ever meeting Seth Perez. I was sitting uh, outside on the corner of a uh, the old Starbucks at Anderson Mill in 183. There's a new one there now. And man, we sat out there, and it was a long meeting. And there were tears, and there was laughter. And at least for me, man, I felt just an instant connection and I wasn't quite sure what God was going to do with that relationship, but I knew it was going to be special. And it's, you know, it's one of one of the very, very fond memories that I have. Of, of, of ministry, really, in my life, it's just the day that I met you. It just really impacted my life. Obviously, like God was doing something incredible, uh, and here you are, you know, four years later, serving as our director of, of the music department. But man, take take me back to that day, because you were you were definitely like putting yourself out there in a way that I almost seemed, you seemed reluctant to do, and and I've had that experience with people where. It seemed to me to not be genuine, um, and uh, which was why I was intrigued. I was like, this, this actually feels genuine, even though the story, narr- the narrative is similar to the other experiences that weren't. Um, but when I met you, I knew I had the real deal sitting in front of me. Uh, take us back through that season in your life when you had given all that stuff up, you're reconnecting and kind of putting yourself out there and saying, God, whatever you want to do.
1: Oh, man. Um... That was a very interesting season in life. After the band that I was in, after we disbanded, um, God definitely was very clear with me. I I think that maybe music had become not quite an idol, but it was on its way. Um, And he told me to to give it all away. And so I did. I gave away whatever equipment I could, and I sold whatever I could. And... um, I walked away from it all, including, including music and ministry, and I went for a while that way, several months, and I had no idea if God wanted me to pick it back up or not at any point, but by the time our, our situation started at New Heights, God had said, I'll allow you to do this. And so I did, and I enjoyed it for that year, and we grew as Christians, I grew as a leader, and I grew in my understanding of what it is God wanted to use me for even deeper. So that by the time I met you, God had made it clear that He wanted that to be the primary path that I went down, and that He had begun to open places for me that He didn't tell me what they were, He just made it clear that I was supposed to really begin to walk in that and to walk toward that thing. When I reached out to you, we were probably three or four months in to be in at Mosaic. We had become members, or we were becoming members. And uh, not only Robin, my wife, but God had also lovingly nudged me. And and it's I don't like talking about myself. I, I do not despite what people might think, because I'm a person that has a spotlight on me and a microphone. I'm not really interested in that. I think I've seen it too many times where it becomes ingenuine. and Somebody begins to believe in that more than the story that God is writing. And so I, I shy away from it. But God told me I better do it. He told me to reach out and to tell whoever's in leadership in the music ministry at Mosaic Church that I was there. And he said, I'll deal with the rest of what that means. And I think that meant maybe there was some need that I could meet. And and I mean it when I say maybe that meant I could learn how to play the banjo. Maybe that meant I could play third percussion. I It didn't matter to me. I just that wasn't my story to write it was god's to write and i was reluctant but i did it i sent the email i said i've done music i've done ministry i love what happens here i wouldn't normally do this but god sort of told me to and i just i think i said something to the effect of do with that what you will and goodbye <laughs> thanks for doing a great job pastor nathan <laughs> And I had no idea if I'd hear from you. And I, I I wasn't concerned whether I did or not. I did my part. And uh, dang, then you emailed me. And you said, when can we meet? And I was like, oh, gosh, here we go. And our meeting, though, it, it's one of my favorite times in ministry as well. I look back on that meeting, and it really did spark a great friendship. Um, I love you like a brother. And I respect you. You're one of my leaders. And... You're a great man of faith. You're you're great in ministry, and you're such an excellent musician. I've learned so much from you, but I don't think either of us could have had any idea what God was doing on that day. It's just really crazy to look back on it.
0: Well, th- first of all, thank you for, for those kind words. Definitely God was doing something, and I think that, that was just evident, you know? And I wasn't sure either what God was doing, but I knew God was in it. And that's... You know, I've, I've told people my whole life and especially, you know, I worked as a youth pastor for a number of years and I've worked with young people and people who are just coming into faith and they're trying to figure out like, man, what should I do? And some people feel called to mission fields, to places that maybe are a little more dangerous or more risk involved and that sort of thing. And I've always just felt like the safest place on earth that you could ever be is in the center of God's will. And it really doesn't matter, like what all is happening around you. This the, we, we have we have some narratives around safety in our country, um, and there's different kinds of safety: there's physical safety, emotional safety, spiritual safety. And there's some reality to all those things. But I think my at least my answer for me continues to be that the safest place I could be is in the middle of God's will. And what I knew that day was that you know you and I meeting was we were meeting in the crosshairs of God's will that day. And, uh, and that was just a, it was, it was a, it's a phenomenal thing to experience. It's a humbling thing to experience because you go, well, God's doing something that I don't think he really understands the guy sitting in front of me and I don't fully understand, but I know he's in it. And so of course, you know, as time unfolded, Seth, you got involved in our team, and I just want to kind of actually just talk about you for a minute, because, you know, uh, we sort of joke around about it, but you're a handsome man, you're full of charisma, you have just an amazing vibe that you put off, man, that people just want to be around you. You're a fun guy to be around, you have a magnetic personality, and, and you're very energetic on stage, and you love, you know, you love what you do, And I and I see that in you, whether it's just a few people in a room with a guitar, or whether it's on stage in front of a bunch of people, like, you're really the same guy all the way around. But what I want people to know about you is that that is really an overflow of what's taking place inside your heart all the time. And because you are so good. What I think sometimes people might miss is this guy is the real deal. Like he's not trying to entertain you, he's not trying to impress you. He is being who God made him to be. And I know like the the humility that you actually walk in. I know even some of the self-doubt that, that you experience from time to time and the ways that you second guess yourself and you get back up, not because you think that you're God's gift to music or anything like that, although you are one of God's gifts to music in our church. But but you get back up and you keep going because you know that God said do it and you said yes, sir. And I love that about you. You know, we had a conversation recently where we discuss the fact that you have a yes in your spirit, <laughs> and and I love that about you as well. And I, I think that it's important for the people of Mosaic to know that you are one of the most genuine, authentic guys that that I've ever met. And I know many people would just line up and attest to that. You don't have to take my word for it. They they could just you know start going through the the Mosaic directory and ask people that have worked with you. And I think everyone knows that you are as genuine as they come. And you love Jesus. You love people. And my- my experience is that all you want is for people to love Jesus more <laughs> and to, to show that and to express that and to not be reserved about that. And so you have really just brought a spark and a charge into our church. I've been a part of Mosaic before that ccc since 2005 and we've gone through a number of different you know leaders in our music department of course i I was in that seat for a while before you came and every time you know some someone new comes along god does a new thing and things shift and things adjust and things things change and when you came along that was no exception to that to that and um you know, it's never been bad here at all. It's always been a really great team. Uh, it, was a, it was a really great team before, you know, I sat in the seat you're in. I think it was a pretty good team when I was in that seat. And it's a really great team when you're in that seat. But God has used different people to do different things. And I just want to say that I absolutely love what has changed and what has improved and what has gotten better since you came. And part of that, and I think a huge part of that, man, is just your heart that you inject into everything that takes place, whether it's the administrating. Of of crazy, you know, six tapings over a weekend and juggling all the people, and probably I think you've gotten some more gray hair since COVID, like I have. I could go on and on, and people are probably thinking, "All right, shut up already. We want to hear some more from, from Seth." I know but I am. No, yeah, you're you're, you're, you're getting uncomfortable. But uh, that's part that's part of the fun. But really, Seth, you've just been a tremendous asset uh, to our team, and you've really done a lot of good, and not not just in like doing work but in, in who you are and pouring your heart out into people around you and into the music and, and all of that. And um, I guess, man, I, I just I just love you so much. And I'm so impressed by you that I want everybody else to know the set that I know. And that is part of the point of this podcast. So anyway, I'll slow down because I, I know that you're probably getting uncomfortable with all of it. But I would love to hear from you when 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 it started to shape up and it looked like, man, maybe God's calling me, you know, to take on some leadership. I'd, I'd love to to know what stirs your heart about that. Cause it is a very different thing to just to lead a congregation in worship, which we have many people that do that, you know, better than both of us. I and mean, we were so blessed here at Mosaic, um, you know, to have such amazing people. And I won't even start naming them cause I'll miss somebody. Um, but you know, there, there are people that lead worship at a, at a very high level at our church, but it's another thing to lead a worship team, a music team, a worship department, that sort of thing. Share your heart with us about that part of it, not just leading worship, but leading worshipers.
1: Wow. Well, uh, first of all, Nate, dude, this has ended up being like just energy for my soul. Thank you, bro. I do this to people, man, (laughs) making me cry over here. Well, you know, I I saw early on when I got to join the team and be a part of what God was doing here at Mosaic that it was really, really unique and That piece of it has not changed. What I noticed that was so unique when I first became a member of the team was that you, Nathan, were leading leaders. You were making a space for and shaping people who had humongous abilities to inspire, to encourage, and to lead people in the art of worship, in the real-life work of worship. And that has not changed, even to today. When I, when I began to sit in the seat, that's one of the biggest things that I that I knew I would be doing. I would not be really making anything new, but I would be making space for what God had planted in the people that He bless me with the opportunity to to steward and to serve it's it's been one of the biggest honors of my life to be able to work side by side with the people that that serve on this team because again they are all so extremely talented and unique that when when i sit and i and i look at their faces and i think about their life the things that God's planted in them, when I think about their abilities and their heart for reaching into the throne room and walking into that place and praising God from the deepest parts of their soul, really it it feels to me like it must feel for an artist to sit down at the most expensive, finely made canvas with the most eloquent, And rare paints. The things that not everybody can get their hands on. I feel like I get to help shape and steward something that we do together. And I get to do it with people that are world class in their character. In their integrity. In their world class. In their abilities musically. So it's. I've never seen it like I'm the shot caller. I've gotta make the tough calls because sometimes you got to, but really I serve these people that God has planted in a lane that is directly for this season in this church to be led into the throne room. And I know that sounds a little cliche, it almost sounds too simple, but the truth is sometimes the most beautiful things of God are extremely simple. And that's what I get to do on a day-to-day basis. I get to serve men and women who have committed their lives and their gifts and their time to doing something beautiful that glorifies God and encourages His sons and daughters. And I can't think of anything better in this world, not with not with my life that I would prefer to do.
0: Well, certainly an honorable thing to do and you, you do it well, man. So thank you for that. And the the fruit of your ministry is just literally laying all over the place and uh, it's awesome to watch. So, Hey, let's talk a little bit behind the scenes because you and I could stay in this sort of sappy leadership. We love Jesus and people place all day long and, uh, and encourage one another, which is certainly a, a great thing to do. But, um, I think it'd be interesting. So the very first podcast, actually, the first Tuesdays are for Talking podcast, if you go back and listen, was actually done immediately following our very first taping of service for the first Sunday that we were not able to meet due to COVID-19. And so we, we did a recording and then myself with Pastor Corey and Christy and Marie, we, we hopped into a room and we recorded a podcast and kind of talked about the behind the scenes stuff. And that was so fun, but it was so fresh. And that podcast sounds terrible. We were, I didn't know what I was doing. I don't think any of us did. Uh, we were just trying to figure it out as we went. But here we are, uh, I, I believe after, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll, we will have gone 24 Sundays, 24 Sundays of online-only services. It's crazy just to think about. But but if you would, I think people would be interested in hearing again, because it's so different now a little bit of the behind-the-scenes about what all goes into pulling off that service and recording those things, you know, how we go about just trying to schedule people and to keep people safe and, you know, all those sort of things. Tell us a little bit, Seth, man, what does it take to pull off an online-only service in the COVID-19 era? Wow.
1: 24, huh? That's that's a lot. You know, first and foremost, it, it really does take the grace of God. God's got to have His finger on it, or it's going to be too hard to even handle or, or accomplish it. Secondly, it takes people who have a heart to propagate the gospel, to move the kingdom forward, and to do it with a yes in their spirit, like we like we always talk about. Um, uh, from there, some of the sausage making, to use one of your favorite terms, <laughs> is... So one of the first things that I do in order to set up the marathon tapings, as we call them, is to assemble a small handful or sometimes two to three of our leads. I'll go to different people on the team and I'll ask them if they'd be interested in taking the reins and helping create set lists, helping create personnel lists, creative thoughts that we can do to the songs, creative things that we can do uh, that don't really fit the normal format of what you would think of in a worship set. We love to stretch those limits. We think that God is the ultimate creator, and we love to follow suit. It's one of our one of our favorite things to do. Um, and once we've got leads in place, then we start assembling a team and building song lists and setting out dates for recording. Um, once we're in that phase, we're doing things like uh, making sure that we've got signage in the building to make sure that everybody knows to wear their masks, um, knows to stay six feet apart. Um, We even work with our production crew on ways to keep people separated on the stage. I know it's hard to tell on camera, but there's at least six feet, in some cases, 10 to 15 feet between certain people that are on that platform. Um, Once the tapings are done, I'm able to take the audio, the raw audio from those recordings. And I get to do one of the other favorite things in my job. And I get to do the audio mixes, which is a lot of fun. It's really fulfilling for me. And then I, I deliver that to Jamie Smith. And he stitches everything together. And he makes it into a big, beautiful package that we get to deliver on Sunday mornings. So uh, it's a bit of a machine, I'm proud to say. You know, Not that I built it, but there are several hands that went into that. Nate, you you were a huge part of that. Um, I'm really proud to say that we have, uh, with God's grace, we've assembled a bit of a, of a machine. And because the machine moves, it moves well and it's well-oiled, we're able to insert our heart and our desire to tr- truly worship in the moments when we get together and when we're on our own in our quiet time. It's made a huge difference, I think.
0: It's been really great. It's been a lot of fun. It's been stressful. It's been exciting. (laughs) Uh, You know, and you've definitely carried the ball on a lot of that. And you along with Jamie and Alvin for sure. And many others on our team. Of course, you know, Marie works as one of our assistant music directors and just carries a ton of weight for you. And um, and also is, is just you know, world-class worship leader in her own right. But it's been, it's been kind of fun, you know, to figure out a new way of doing things. Um, and as much as I'm looking forward to the day when we can all worship together in the building again, it has been sort of interesting and fun to stretch a new muscle out and to, to grow a thing like you talked about. And, and, um, and frankly, to create some space, you know, for, for yourself to, to lead in a new way and to empower people. Um, one of the saddest things about this season that we've been in, just as it relates to the local church, obviously there's nothing more sad than the lives that have been lost during this time, so I'm not minimizing that by any stretch. But one of the saddest things uh, over the last you know, four or five months now that, that we've been in this situation is how many serve teams haven't been able to serve. You know, um, how many of our ministry teams have not been able to to actually just do uh, part of what they feel called to do because it's expressed in the context of a gathering and we haven't been able to gather? So it has been sad on that hand to see so many not being able to. To sort of serve in labor. On the other hand, some teams, like our music and production teams, have have definitely you know been able to continue on in kind of a new way. And I don't know about you, but it's anytime you go through something like this, it seems to actually uh, build the relationships in a new way. And so every time we come together, you almost feel like man, even though I haven't seen you in five weeks or however many weeks it's been since we get together and do these recordings, you can always sort of feel the the relational energy in the room between all of the people. Uh, um, and another thing that I just would like to kind of share, I guess my own two cents in the behind the scenes piece is the spiritual energy, uh, that's in the room is incredible. So the last taping that we did, of course, you know, people listen to podcasts may not know this, but I severely injured my ankle and wasn't, was not really able to, to get up and walk around without some support and all of those kinds of things. So I just came, I wasn't able to participate, but I came and sat in the back. And when, when the team was just rehearsing, They're just warming up. I sat back there on my little knee scooter in the back of the room, and I just began to weep, because the the presence of God was so overwhelming, and it was like you know shaking up a bottle or something, and then taking the lid off when everyone came together. And it's a stripped down team; it's not even as many people as we would like to use, and they're sort of spread out, and some people wear masks. you has got all these things trying to kind of come between us, and many of them necessary for safety, of course. And yet, in spite of all of that, uh, man, that the, the the team that you lead uh, showed up. Right ready, not just musically, but spiritually. And so I give you tons of credit for that as well, because it takes it takes a phenomenal leadership muscle to lead people the way that you've been having to do over these last few months. So, so man, thank you for doing that. Um, I guess I just have a couple more questions, and then we're going to start to land the plane here, Seth. But if people want to actually get involved in music or production here at Mosaic, even in the COVID era, is that possible? And what would they do to go about getting involved in the ministry that you lead here at Mosaic?
1: That's actually a really exciting question. The answer is yes. On our website, we do have an interested in um, platform where you can go and you can let you let us know that you're interested in being evaluated and, be, and going through an orientation for the music team or the production team. We haven't really onboarded many new members during the, the COVID era. But as you know, Nate, like you and I have been talking about, you know, we recognize that Something even more important than the music and the production elements that we get to do together as a team in this department uh, is actually the community that this department offers people. We really do operate like a family, and we know that there there are members in our church who want to be a part of something like this, and they want to be linked into a community like this. So if anyone is interested, they can just go to the website, they can see that there, we're working on initiatives right now internally in our team to be able to increase our level of community while the world is trying to keep us separated from one another. We're having to think of new ways, creative ways to stay connected in, in ways that might not be the same as us seeing each other every single week, but we know because we love each other as brothers and sisters that we can do this. We can make our community as strong as it's ever been. Um, despite what COVID is trying to do. And we want to bring new people into that. So, yeah, short answer. Go to the website. It's there. (laughs) (laughs) And that
0: website, I think, is mosaicchurchaustin.com forward slash music department. Is Is that the right place still to go? Yeah, that's the one. Okay, perfect. So yeah, just one more time. It's mosaicchurchaustin.com forward slash music department, and you can find all the information there about how to get involved. Um, I think we're going to go ahead and start to wrap this thing up, Seth. Uh, we've had a had a long afternoon here together, thanks to some of our technical problems, and I know you've got a lot of work to do uh, still today. It's a it's a tireless effort that you put forth, but man, we really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on today's podcast. Thank you for all your outstanding, phenomenal leadership and songwriting and team building and team development, and uh, man, we could just literally go on and on and on, but you're a wonderful asset to our team. Our church is very, very blessed to have you. I hope everyone knows that and feels that, and I believe that they'll be encouraged just to get to know you and hear your heart and your story a little bit better today. So Seth, thank you for joining us today
1: on Tuesdays R For Talking. Thanks, Pastor Nate. Thank you, Mosaic Church. I love you all very much and can't wait to see you soon.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays R For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next
1: week.